0: Today's scripture reading is taken from 1 John chapter 2 verses 12 to 17. I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the father I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one do not love the world verse 15 do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is the word of God.
1: Thank you, Cecilia, for reading God's word for us. Good morning, beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. Before we start, let us pray for God to help us receive his word. Father God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the Bible which revealed Jesus Christ, who is the perfect expression of your love for us. You sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, so that true faith in him We can know the blessings of abundant eternal life. We ask you, our loving Father, that today you open our eyes to see the wonderful, delightful things in your word, so that by seeing, we believe. And by believing, we will be strengthened and encouraged to live lives worthy of your love for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I was sitting in a uh, hospital waiting room this past week I was waiting to see my brother after his operation. And as I was there, I started doing mental calculations as to the cost of the medical treatment for the hospital stay. You know, there are medical bills to pay for. There are students in our midst who will be taking exams in a couple of weeks. You are waiting for the church service to be over before heading back to study. There are exams to take. There are couples in our midst who have to provide for both their young children and for their ageing parents. Money is needed to pay for expenses. There are seniors in our midst who worry about whether their savings are enough in the light of economic inflation. There are pressures to ensure that there are enough finances left for them. So my friends, when we hear sermons on loving God and not loving the world, sometimes the message seemed to us to be once removed from the real world and not quite relatable. For there are bills, exams, expenses, and inflation that we have to deal with. So there I was in the hospital waiting room thinking about today's sermon, believers, and the world. And I must confess, I was thinking about similar, thinking similar thoughts as I was considering 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 to 17. Now in my mind, thankfully I wasn't verbalizing it, but in my mind I was thinking, yes, we should love God and not love the world. Right, this is something all believers can say amen to. But why should we do it? And how practically would this look like? Because in this world, We, as believers, we still face the real pressures of medical bills, exams, having to provide for our children and our parents, and to deal with the ever-increasing inflation. We know as believers, we should love the Father and not love the world. Why should we do this? How can this practically look like in our lives? How would this look like as a church when we live this way? The Apostle John addresses these questions for us today in 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. So turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. And you keep your finger on this text as we look at today's scripture text. But before we jump to the passage, let us recall what John has written to his beloved church so far. John told us in his prologue, in his introduction, that Jesus Christ is the word of life who became flesh. And we build our fellowship by proclaiming the word of life to one another. He also reminded us that God is light. We are to walk in light by confessing our sins and trusting in Christ and that God is faithful and just to forgive us and will bring us into fellowship with Him and with one another. John then wrote that Jesus Christ is our advocate and the propitiation for our sins. We are to receive the help God sends and to respond as a result in Christ-like living. Finally, Sam challenged us last Sunday with the convicting question, would we respond to God's love and grace for us by choosing to love all our spiritual brothers and sisters? You know, though I was not here during the service, I did read Sam's manuscript as he was preparing the message. You know, Sam, unlike some of the rest of us, I won't mention who we are, he prepares his message really early. Okay? And he demonstrates humility and the teachable spirit by sending his draft to all the pastors for a look. And there I was reading his manuscript, and I was shifting uncomfortably in my chair as I read what Sam wrote. I was challenged and convicted. And my friends, that was John's intention as well. Do you remember what John intended to do in this letter, in the letter of 1 John? He wrote 1 John with two intentions in mind. Firstly, John wants to help us to avoid presuming that we are Christians when we are not. We have heard about the obedience test Do we keep God's commandments? And we saw the love test last week. Do we love our brothers and sisters in Christ? And chapter 2 verse 11 concluded that section which Sam preached. In that verse, John gave the contrast between light and darkness and how this was shown in keeping the commandments that believers must love one another. What this means is this. Loving our fellow believer in the church, gives proof that we are walking in the light. Were you similar cha- similarly challenged last week to love our brother and sister in Christ in GBC? You know, sometimes I joke with the pastoral staff, sometimes there are people best love at a distance. Okay? But that is not what the text tells us to do. It tells us to get involved in the messiness, in the difficulties, in the sometimes difficult situation, but um, challenging situation, but a, a wonderful situation because it helps us to become more Christ-like of loving our brother and sister. So are you feeling convicted and uncomfortable? It's in the midst of this that John now brings us comfort. Because 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 to 14 express John's second intent. He wants us to avoid uncertainty when we are indeed Christians. He wants to assure us of our salvation by telling us what we do have as believers. You know, One of the benefits that Singaporeans sometimes don't realise we have is that as Singapore citizens, we have MediShield and MediSafe. And this is to help us pay our bills, our medical bills. And this was one thing that brought me a measure of reassurance as I was thinking about my brother's medical cost, Can you imagine if I had forgotten about them and did not make a claim against the bill? The medical bill that we would have to pay would then be quite costly. Likewise, John writes to give us reassurance in verses 12 to 14, but he writes of something even more weightier. He writes to reassure his readers that he is confident about their standing as true believers. He writes to remind us as believers to remember what we have as children of God. So let's look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. And as we look at, this phra- as the, at the six phrases in these verses, if you casually just browse through, okay, it would raise some questions. I mean, as you read through the text, you will ask questions like, what's up with how these texts are arranged? It's a bit strange, right? It seems to repeat itself. Okay? And who is being addressed here? There seems to be groups of people that John is addressing. And what is it that they have? Different Bible teachers and commentators have slightly different understanding. But I think this is the best view. If you look at it, there are three phrases that are repeated twice. Here the phrases that are addressed to little children and children goes together. uh, uh, There are the phrases that address fathers form a pair. Likewise for the pair of phrases addressed to young men. And the use of I am writing and I write to you is just John's way of emphasizing what he, he's writing. It's intended for emphasis. And little children and children, who do they actually refer to? Who, who is John addressing? It refers to the same group of believers, they mean Christians in general. And this is supported by 1 John 2, verse 1 and 28. Uh, chapter 3, verse 4 and 18. Chapter 4, verse 4 and five, twenty-one, Where John addresses those under his watch care as little children or children. Therefore, by little children and children, John means children of God. He means all believers. Then what's up with the titles, fathers and young men? Because subsequently, John subdivides the Christian community into two age groups, the old and the young. So with this understanding in mind, let's look at the three pair of phrases that John used to describe the believers. Verses 12a and 13c, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. So John addresses all believers. And what is it that we have as believers? Everybody, what do we have? We have forgiveness of sins. John told his readers that their sins are already forgiven for Jesus' namesake. Jesus is our advocate. First John two one, the one who supports us in front of God on our behalf. Jesus is our propria- uh, propitiation, First John 2.2, the one who is our acceptable sacrifice. Who is the acceptable sacrifice? who turns away God's anger at our sins. So everyone who believes in Jesus Christ receives forgiveness of sins through His name. 1 John 1.9, if you remember, it tells us, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as we sung, our sins are not forgiven, because of anything we have done or deserve. It doesn't depend on our good works or our merit, but because of what Christ has done and has earned for us. And my friend, there is more. Look at the text. Look at what the scripture graciously revealed to us. God can be known as Father, verse 13, only through the forgiveness of sins offered in Jesus' name. Because we cannot know the God, we cannot know God as our Father, without the atonement of the Son. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through Him. Isn't this wonderful? We receive forgiveness of sins and we get to know God as our Father. This is what we all as believers have in Christ. Next, verses 13a and 14a. I'm writing to you fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, fathers, because you know Him from the beginning. These two phrases are virtually identical. The thought here is simple, but amazingly wonderful. Okay. Who is this Him who is from the beginning? It refers to Jesus, the incarnate word of life. This phrase should be familiar to us. This is what Jesus was called in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. And since, for his name's sake, in the phrase immediately before refers to Jesus, we are, can be quite certain that it, it follows that the hymn talked about here also refers to Jesus. So what John is reminding the, old, the older men at church is this, is that they know Jesus. Perhaps some of them were even around and they had been eyewitnesses to Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. More than that, because they trusted in Jesus Christ, they are in an intimate saving relationship with Him, they have fellowship. They have the joy of fellowship with the Word of Life. And for us, believers in the 21st century, what does this mean? While we have not seen Jesus Christ in the flesh, we have by faith received Him. We too can enjoy an intimate, saving relationship with Him and know fellowship, and know this fellowship with the incarnate Word of Life. Finally, verses 13b and 14b. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Note that John said three things of the younger men in the church. Firstly, that they are strong. Secondly, that their strength, their power is derived from the Word. That abides in them and thirdly, is displayed in their victory over the evil one. In Christ, the eternal Word of God, Christians have victory over the powers of the devil. Sin and death have all, they all have been conquered. And this is certainly true for all of us believers today. Therefore we can be assured of victory, for Jesus has overcome the world. We can take heart for he is who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Satan, called the ruler of the world, is a defeated foe. We can rest assured in it. We can take comfort in Christ's conquering. We have victory over the evil one. So these are the things we can be certain of. As children of Father, believers we can be assured of the forgiveness of sin, of fellowship with God, of victory over the evil one and this is what we have as believers. These are love gifts from our loving Father God. Amazing stuff, isn't it? Amazing. And now I'm speaking to our, my non-Christian friends who may be visiting with us today. If forgiveness of sins, fellowship with God and victory over the evil one is what we desire then I plead with you to consider the Gospel, that God is our loving Father whom we have rejected. We have chosen darkness over light. And yet, and yet, there is forgiveness of sins that is made available in Jesus' name. And your response? You need to place your trust in Jesus to save you from your sins. And if this is what you want to do, or you simply have questions about the Gospel or Christianity in general, you can attend the Tuesday Inquiry class, Tuesday Inquiry group, or the Sunday Seekers class. The details are in your ministry guide that's been, is with you. But, or if you want to, you can talk to any one of us here at Grace Baptist Church after this service. Any one of the elders or the friend who brought you for a visit, you can speak to them. I'm sure we'd be glad to, to speak to you about, about these things. What about us Christians? What about us Christians? What applications are there for us My friends, this is gospel in verses 12 to 14. It tells us that God has done for us in Christ what we cannot do on our own. God has given us what we cannot earn. What we need to learn to see is to see the grace of the gospel revealed in all our scriptures. What we call the indicatives of what God has done for us. Learn to discern the grace in the the Bible, in the scripture text before you. Delight in it. Do what the late Jerry Bridges wrote and made well known in Christian circles. You preach the gospel to yourself daily. As you read the Bible, note the grace in the text. Reflect on the gospel truths of scripture. Know it deeply. Sing it heartily. Feel it passionately. Give thanks for it constantly and live out the applications obediently. And this is where we come to next. We come to the commands or the imperatives of this passage, what we are to do. Because we have received the blessings of the gospel, then we are not to love the things the world offer. John out the grace of the gospel and now he urges us believers to live it out. John gives us our motivation. Because of our new status as children of light, beloved by the Father, then we can relate rightly to the world. You know, I, I need to make a confession here. So some of you, you know, hear me, you know, despite my big talk about lo- loving action movies, I talk about how I like doing the Rock, Rock Johnson more than anything else. I relate the story of how I, meet two, I met Carrie and Ian at the... Uh, center, and then Ian was coming back for a missions uh, committee meeting, and then Carrie was watching The Apostle Paul. And there I was, when they asked me what was I doing, I went, <clears throat> I'm actually watching The Rock in Rampage. It shows how spiritual I am. So, so, but despite all my big talk about loving action movies, I also love to watch Disney movies. I especially like their updated contemporary fairy tales. And yes, sometimes when I watch the movies, as some of you who watch with me can attest to, but I go really quiet, I do shed a tear or two, so shh, don't tell people. Yeah. So when I watch these fairy tales, it's, I get emotional. And this author of a children's book she writes, Kate Forsyth, Fairy tales are stories of triumph and transformation and true love. All things I fervently believe in. A number of fairy tales tells of true love that transforms the leading character. Think beauty in a beast. Fairy tales can offer us a glimpse of the gospel, how true love, but in our case, divine love can change the recipient of that love. The verses that have gone before in verses 12 to 14 tells us what God in his love has done for us in Jesus Christ. In the next section, verses 15 to 17, it transitions to what we are to do in response. It gives us the implications of being transformed by God's love. It tells us how to live and apply uh, the truths of being transformed by God's love. And what John does is to give a command in verse 15. He then explains it in verse 16. And then he ends by giving us reasons for keeping the command in the second half of verse 16 and in verse 17. So John tells us in verse 15, do not love the world or things in the world. This is an imperative command. So what this means is this is something as believers that we really need to do. And what does John mean here when he used the word world here? Remember John 3.16? John writes there, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, God loves the world? And then John writes again in John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. So what does John mean here? John's use of the word here does not refer to people of the world. Neither does he refer to God's creation. But what he refers here is to worldly values and systems that are opposed to God. Quite simply, the word world here, and uh, loving the world here, means worldliness. An author defines the term worldliness as a love for the fallen world. He clarifies, it is loving the values and pursuits of the world that stands opposed to God. More specifically, it is to gratify and exalt oneself to the exclusion of God. It rejects God's rule and replaces it with our own. And to that definition, he adds, a few self-evaluating questions that are so helpful I found in diagnosing our love for things of the world. So listen as I go through these questions. Questions such as, does outward prosperity appeal to you more than growth in godliness? Do you esteem and crave the approval of those around you? Do you go to great lengths to avoid looking foolish or being rejected for your Christian faith? Do you consider present and material results more important than eternal rewards? Have you departed from God and adopted idols instead? Do you love the world We must not. As Christians, we must continually refuse to let worldliness squeeze us into its mold. So do not love the world, nor things of the world. And John continues in the second half of verse 15. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This is so typical of John and his writing. John gives his reader, gave his reader, and either-or contrast. If you love the values and pursuit of the world that stand opposed to God, you do not have the love for our Father God. You either love God or love the world. There is no middle ground. There is no love in moderation. My friends, the love God's people have for Him here, it presupposes is based on the love of God for His people. Remember 1 John 4.10? We love because He first loves us. My friends, the love of the Father, what it does is implants in us a motivation to break with the idolization of the world. So it breaks our love for the idols of the world. And this, again, is gospel grace. Because what God did is this. He gave the command do not love the world, and His transforming love empowers us to keep it. John Codinu tells his readers what are the things of the world that stand opposed to God. Verse 16, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride in possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. What we see here is the unholy trinity of temptations, and they comprise desires of the flesh. This is a general category that refers to what the body craves for. It is what our sinful nature lasts after. The desires of the eyes is next. These are the sinful cravings that are activated and caused by what we see. It is at heart covetousness, coveting something that we see. Finally, the ESV transforms laid the last phrase here as pride in possessions. Here it means a boasting in possessions that you own. So what we see here is this, is describing worldly values or sensuality or what it means is enjoyment of physical pleasures, materialism and pride. And this is what John has in view here. I know, I know, at this point some of you may want to ask me, only is it then wrong to have desires? Human desires are part of God's creation. And therefore they are not inherently evil. But when they become twisted, okay, when they become twisted, when they are not directed by God or towards God, what we're talking about here is what we call misplaced or disordered loves. It is placing our love on something other than God. Or loving something that in itself may be good. But loving that more than God. For example, all people need possessions right i mean all of us have in our wallet an iphone and various things and therefore it cannot be wrong to want to take delight in what god has provided for our needs but what happens is when we begin to desire more than other people to covet whatever i see to boast of what i have like the like getting the new what iphone x i think it just came out okay and to claim that i'm self-sufficient then my desires become sinful and I stand condemned. them. John's instruction stands as a timeless warning for us in modern-day Singapore. It warns us against the widespread materialism. I mean, we just saw Crazy Rich Asian, I'm sure some of you have seen that. It warns us against this rampant materialism and it warns us against its prosperity gospel cousin that is in the church. So why shouldn't believers love the things the world offers? John gives us two reasons. And the first reason is in the second half of verse 16. Because the values and systems described in the first half of verse 16 is not from the Father, but from the world. The believer is not to love the world because quite simply, it is incompatible with love for God. And the second reason is given in verse 17. John gives the reason and then gives his contrast. And the world is passing away along with his desires. And and John is being incredibly pragmatic and real here. He tells us that this present world is passing away. Loving this present world is disastrous. Having living living affections for dying things is foolish. Hedging your bets on something that is short-lived it's poor investment, but John tells us in contrast, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Do you hear that? The person who does God's will live forever. You will experience a never-ending joy of an eternity in the presence of God, the Father. How about that? What's it's, it's incomparable. But the question million dollar question here is. What does doing God's will look like? In this immediate context of these few verses, it means loving God and not loving the world. And if we look at the broader context of 1 John, doing the will of God in 1 John involves believing in the Son and loving fellow believers, 1 John 3.23. So loving God, trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ and loving fellow believers in the church. This is the will of God. So how then, at this point here, you know I'll get practical. How then can we love God and not love the world? What are some ways for us to think about, to consider? I suggest one way is as believers, we need to evaluate our lifestyle choices. Do not let the values of the world to press in and shape our decisions. The values of the world to accumulate more possessions and take pride in them. Let, let these values not press in on us and shape our decisions. And we can make wise decisions with regards, firstly, to our career decisions. Now I remember, I was visiting a church in another country and I had the privilege of knowing one of the elders. And one of the things he shared that surprised me as a Singaporean was how as an elder, how he made his career decisions. It was based not on where he could get him, uh, how much pay he could get him. It was not based on career advancement. It was based on whether it freed up time for him to get involved in the life of his local church. He, risked, he literally risked his career avance- advancement so that he can take up a position that allowed him to stay in the vicinity of his church and not get posted elsewhere. He also posed that position so that it did not demand too much of his time. And I asked him why. And he told me he made that decision so that he can serve the local church as an elder. And also to make time and space to love his brothers and sisters in the church by investing in discipling relationships. What about the rest of us? Do we need to make adjustments in our career? so that we are able to have time and space to get involved in gospel ministry or to invest, get involved and invest in relationship with other brothers and sisters in the church. We can also make wise decisions with regards to buying big-budget possessions like housing and a, or a car. I was just talking to this with a brother a couple of weeks ago. Okay? We can try to stay financially free in our commitments. You know, I understand you know, in Singapore, it's inevitable to take loans for the buying of a car or buying housing. But are we making our decisions wisely? Do we really need to buy a bigger or better house or car? Because for some of us, as a result of that purchase, is that it puts us into a financial commitment that demands that we at least maintain or even increase our current income earnings. And when this happens, it locks us. Into our jobs. We fear saying no to our bosses' demands. We are reluctant to take a lesser job role. And we hesitate to do anything that may risk our pay, just in case we cannot make the loan repayment. And what this does is it binds us, it hinders us from having time and space for gospel ministry, or even just simply having time and space to love our brothers and sisters in church in practical ways. These are applications for us too, who are parents as well. What values are we communicating to our children in our lifestyle choices? Are we communicating values that stand opposed to loving God? Are we uh, communicating values that show more of the love of the system of the world than love of God? I know of a couple in our church who discipled their children in how they view money. They actually explained to their children, they explained to their children, the choice of either having both parents working or only having the father working and the mother staying at home. And in the end, the family together made a choice of having their mother with them and forego going for expensive holidays that many Singaporeans seem to go on. They chose instead to focus on having increased margin for building relationships in the family rather than follow the values and expectations of many Singaporeans. And this also freed up the mother for ministry in the church. See, she is heavily involved in children's ministry. I bet you she's up there right now. So, So as parents, they model to the children what it means to not love the world and how to love and serve God and to love their fellow believers in their church. Another way we can apply John's command is not to let materialism creep into the life of the church. You know, we just had an elders retreat yesterday and and, having the elders and elder associates present was really encouraging. I was encouraged by many things. But on reflection, one main thing I was encouraged was nothing quote-unquote material was emphasized. What I mean by that? Nothing on the budget and the need to increase giving was mentioned. Nothing about talking about the need to increase our numbers of attendance was mentioned. No influence from the business culture crept in. No mention of bottom lines, nor increasing our customer base or similar ideas. Rather, the focus was on relationships within the church. We asked questions like, how do we cultivate and build more encouraging relationships in the church that reflect the application of the gospel? How do we strengthen our relationships with non-Christians outside the church so that these relationships can serve as a bridge for the gospel to cross over? How do we love God to be about the gospel and love one another in the church? And I ask and seek your prayers. Do continue to pray for us elders to be faithful in this. Also, as members in the church, what can we practically be doing? Let's work at building and deepening relationships with one another so that we can love one another better. I mean, to love someone practically means you need to know the person and his needs. So let's start by building and deepening relationships. And I challenge you in the next month to meet up and speak to someone you don't quite know but have seen around the church for a while. Okay? Um, I challenge you to speak with, with him or her. And I know that when I ask this, it's a big ask. I know Singaporeans, we tend to be, be a bit shy you know, and it may feels a bit awkward, awkward for us. But anything change we make will feel awkward initially. So I urge you to take this baby step to simply meet up. Maybe meet up downstairs after the service with someone you don't quite know and just talk about how you came to GBC. Just get to know one another. Talk about your family, talk about your work, talk about your ministry involvement. Build the first foundation for gospel friendship. And if you're up to it, and I look to many of the young adults for this, you can also stay after the service and discuss the reflection question. Which will, for the sermon, this will be put up after the service. We can do that together as well. You no, know, we must admit that the world has great attraction. Every day it hurts at our hearts. This is why we need to be reminded of the gospel and what we are called to do. We need to be reminded of what we have as believers and what we are to do as a result. We need to remember that question posed long ago by Lord Jesus Christ. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Mark 8.36 As one commentator writes so well, and we need to remember Jesus, who came into this world, so that he might save the world. Yes, we need to remember him, to know that our lifelong battle with worldliness, with loving the world, cannot be worn by sheer willpower or personal resolve, but only through replacing our love for the world with a love for someone far lovelier. The glory of Christ is the antidote for all that dazzles and sparkles but fades. The old song, the old hymn got it right. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. So my friends, hold fast to Christ. For you, He became temporal so that you might partake of eternity. Let us pray. Father God, we pray in the words of the wonderful old hymn, O oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I constrain to be. Let Thy goodness, like a fetter, buy my wandering heart to Thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it, seal it for Thy cause above. Father God, we pray that You take our love and affections and seal it for Jesus Christ and Him alone. Amen.